You're listening to Michael Easley in Context. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Welcome to a new season of In Context. We are excited to be back in studio this season with a whole new spate of programs coming your way. Whether you're listening on iTunes, SoundCloud, uh, Trans World Radio 360, or OnePlace.com, we are glad you are joining us. The goal of In Context is to help men and women understand God's Word and how it applies into our lives. We do this primarily through expository Bible teaching and guest interviews. So from time to time, we mix it up with looking at what the text says, as well as talking to other men and women to hear their stories, their struggles, their journeys, and their victories. For the month of September, we're looking at passages and having conversations with a variety of folks about strong marriages. And today on the broadcast, I get the privilege of introducing to you the most beautiful woman on the planet I know. She's also an author, a speaker, a real estate agent, the mother of my four children. A big mouth, hard-headed, <laughs> sarcastic. If you've never heard from her, now you have Cindy Easley, my bride of 36 years. You've put up with me for 36 years. Yeah, it's astonishing that it's been 36 years. It really is. It's pretty astonishing. So we're talking about strong marriages all month long, and thanks for coming by the studio. Um, you and I, are, are we are we stronger than ever? Yeah, I would say so. Okay. Without a doubt. Didn't start out that way. No, it did not start out that way. Our first six months were hell. Well, that's just cut to the chase there. Um, yeah, you don't have any strong opinions about it, do you? <laughs> I, I did then. <laughs> so, so talk about it. We were we were uh, in love with love. We had a whirling dervish engagement. What was it? Eight nine months, start to finish. Yeah, first date to wedding was probably about eight and a half months. Uh huh. We get married. I move you into my world. Yep. Uh, and um, you had some expectations about marriage, as did I. And they were not the same expectations, were they? Astonishing. What were your expectations? Uh, guilt-free sex. Well, that that was met. <laughs> My expectations were that you were going to still spend every moment of the day courting me as you had through our dating life, that you would give me complete attention, but that's not what happened. And part of that was the long-distance thing. Right. Because we would drive three and a half hours to see each other, and then you're together for two days, cooking meals, talking, whatever, and then back to work. Yeah, exactly. But I just thought that would carry through because, as you said, you moved me into your world and my friends had left that world. That was the town in which we were both in college. My friends graduated and left. A lot of your friends stayed there, got jobs, and some were still in school. So when I moved back to Nacogdoches, my friends were gone and you had a lot of friends. So I just thought I would still be your world and was mistaken to find out that when you would get home from work, your friends would come over and want to hang out with you, and you would hang out with them. And, and that was a problem? <laughs> you think? <laughs> <laughs> um, you had a job at a hospital. I had a job working for the government. We both had, I mean, they were great jobs. Um, and you, you talked to a woman at work a little bit about me. <laughs> I did. I shared an office with a woman who was in her mid maybe her early 60s, um, as a 22-year-old bride, she was really wise and, and gave me a lot of advice. She loved you. You would stop by to, to see me, and if I wasn't in my office, you and Brownie would sit and talk. And um, 
So she was basically reminded me over and over uh, that marriage is hard work, that I need to give it time, that you were a great guy, you know, Aww. those kinds of things. So she was really encouraging, though. But w- would you say there were some specific things that kind of turned it around? Actually, it was Karen Nelson who gave me specific things. Um, Karen and Gary were married about four years longer than we were and became our friends. And um, Karen would say things like, don't take Michael so seriously, because everything you said, I would take so seriously that they would hurt my feelings. And sometimes you were just kidding. Sometimes it was just us getting to know one another, because again, like you said, our dating relationship was long distance. Our engagement was long distance. And so the day-to-day way that you relate was not the same. One thing I remember, I remember the first time I cleaned the house. Do you remember what happened? You have to bring this up again after 36 years. Yeah, what okay. happened? <laughs> what happened? Well, I came home and I, I said, well, that was good, but let me show you how to really clean a house. Yeah, that wasn't <laughs> your smartest thing you've done as a husband. And so it was things like that that, I mean, of course, I felt dejected that I didn't clean the house well enough, which to me today is just completely silly, which is what Brownie, and that was probably one of the situations that she entered in after the longevity of realizing that's dumb. So, you know, I was kind of like, sure, you clean the house next. We uh, One thing Brownie told me, I was waiting on you and you were out, you know, on the hospital somewhere. And so we're just sitting in her office talking and somehow I guess you told Brownie that you ironed a shirt of mine and I didn't like it. Uh, and you've never ironed for me since that time. But I remember she told me, she said, Michael, if if Cindy irons a shirt, you should say, this is the best I've ever seen a shirt iron. Or if she cooks a meal, that was the best meal I've ever had. And she said, and then she'll work harder and get better. And in my cynical mind, I went, no, that's what I'll be stuck with. <laughs> <laughs> but, but Her point again- was, no, her point was very valid. Encourage someone and they may grow criticize them, and they won't grow. Well, and and that was, I think, true for me because I was a pleaser and wanted to please you, wanted you to be happy. But I was also learning my way as a young yep. wife. And, you know, we've learned so much since then. We've learned so much about that some of those things are not important that I thought were so important, and even you did. That's really not the basis of a relationship is how well I clean the house or how well I cook dinners. And we're not saying uh, marginalize or ignore a person's expectations or feelings. We're not saying it doesn't matter. We're not saying it's wrong. We're saying just sorting through some of these expectations. That's right. We had to work through them. We had to work. and, And they were so unrealistic, especially on my part. I mean, of course, we should still have friends. And of course... We should make new friends. I mean, no one, male or female, can marry and expect your spouse to meet all of your needs. They're not designed to meet all of your needs. We need friends of the same gender. If you're a female, you need girlfriends. If you're a guy, you need guys to hang out with. And, of course, you need Jesus. And so I think that was probably my biggest mistake was I thought you were going to be my complete fulfillment. And that was an unfair burden to put on you. So you and I work with young couples today, and what are some of the trends you see in these expectations early on, and how do we encourage them uh, in their six months to a year marriage? I think part of it is to help them understand that they have to explore expectations, that they have to be brutally honest with what they want and think that a marriage should be. I, I think so often that women get married and they are basing their 
expectations on fallacies from movies or from books they've read or from what their girlfriends have said or from what their girlfriends haven't said. And so I, I think it's really important that, that, first of all, it begins with each person thinking through what are my expectations, writing them down, do this alone, really get what they are, and then sharing them with the other, and then talking about what is not reasonable, what is not realistic, but figuring out what is. So let's jump ahead. What happened in our 10-year mark, around our 10-year mark of marriage? Well, it, it was still dealing with expectations, and I remember sorting through in my own mind. I had a retired psychologist friend I've talked about many times named Floyd Sharp. And I remember asking him, what's realistic as an expectation? What's unrealistic as an expectation? And if it's unrealistic, how does one work through that? How do you have someone help you say that's an unrealistic expectation to put on your husband or your wife? And so I started interviewing counselors and I went to three different counselors just to talk through what would it look like to have marriage counseling, thinking like, hey, we're 10 years married. I've looked around. I've not seen really any couples, even in our church where we were involved in Texas. I couldn't point to five or six couples I wanted to be like. And that alarmed me going, okay, we're 10 years married. We're in somewhat of a rut. It's working, but it could be so much more, it felt like. So I finally found a counselor, and I went and talked to him, and I liked his answers to my questions. And I came home and promptly announced that we were going to have a counseling appointment in three months. Yeah, and I wasn't happy about that. <clears throat> we're kind of role reversal. It, most women would love to drag their husbands to counseling, but I felt like I was being dragged to counseling. I didn't want to go, and I can remember spending those three months just saying, tell me what you want me to do, and I'll do it. I just did not want to go to counseling. I had fear about what were they going to scratch into that I didn't want to know or that I didn't want to have to share with anyone. I just had fear. It, it was almost unrealistic fear. But but interesting, Michael, one of the things when you were talking about expectations, it dawned on me that it was the same issue we had when we first got married. Mm -hmm. It was still expectations. So I don't think it matters whether you're newly married or at 10 years marriage, we still had expectations from one another sure. that were not being met and that were not necessarily realistic, or maybe they were realistic and just not communicated well. And I would, I would just add to thinking through finding a counselor, just as a sidebar, you have to be careful finding a good counselor. It's not just, you know, the first person you find on the web, um, but you need to ask around and get some references and maybe meet a couple of times to see if this is a person that you can grow to trust because you can't go anywhere if you don't trust the counselor. Unfortunately, we found a really good guy in we Dallas, did. and uh, he was very he was key, he picked up keenly that you weren't ready to talk. <laughs> yeah, but so let's talk about that because yeah. you said that you were going because you wanted to talk about expectations where you're realistic. So what did you learn? Well, he first dug into a little bit of my story. He went back. To my childhood, we talked a lot about parenting issues, which is, you know, a good baseline for any good counselor. But one of the things that I think I think we both learned was when you come from a family system of origin, you don't even understand the expectations you bring in. And whether it was what mom's role was or dad's role or how dad was quiet or angry or verbal or nonverbal or if mom was a great cook or didn't cook or she was the consummate mom for her children, uh, all those things unwittingly you bring them into the marriage 
And so even though we've been married 10 years, sorting through that with him was really helpful. Um, and I think he also helped me come to the place to understand that, that I was responsible for my own identifying expectations. And then I had to decide, is that fair to you? Is it realistic for our marriage? Um, and it's a, it's a petty thing, but it illustrates it. Um, my mom ironed my shirts as a kid, and they were always, this was before starch was cool and preppy was cool. She ironed everything. And so that was just this subliminal thing. I have to have my clothes ironed. And after 10 years of marriage, you said what? I'm not ironing anymore. Take them to the cleaners. Yeah. <laughs> and I still resent taking my shirts to the, not, not you, but paying money to have it done. But I go, this is a small price. If I really want a press shirt, pay for it. <laughs> Were there one or two takeaways from our time in counseling at 10 years that helped you? Well, I think the biggest thing for me, as you know, I had a really hard time identifying my emotions. Again, role reversal. You were very good and you were very sensitive and you have an ability to know exactly what you're feeling all the time. I had no idea what I was feeling other than the most basic emotions of anger or joy. I I just, I had no idea. So Part of it was me coming to terms and feeling comfortable with my own emotions and learning how to express them. I mean, I can vividly remember having an argument, which we had never argued before counseling, because I was afraid to give you my opinion, which was based on the way I had been raised. And I can remember having an argument and it feeling so good to be able to tell you how I felt. And I can't remember what you said, but I remember saying, Michael, my feelings are valid, and and us just laughing because I was able to even express that and how important that was and uh, how different it felt to have an argument, and not a bad argument, just to be able to actually say, this is what I feel and I disagree with you, mm-hmm. and to, to hash it out. And um, so, you know, occasionally now when we're in the throes of hashing something out, I have to remind you. You caused this. I created the monster. Yeah, you've told me that over and over. I drug it to counseling. And and let me point out one thing is that the the thing that it did for us was it gave us intimacy that we'd never had before. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the bottom line. At the end of the day, for us, it became we needed another set of eyes to look at us, to ask some good questions about our, our home of origin, the dynamics of our parents, what we bring to a marriage. And 10 years was not too early. Uh, or too late, really, to to get some help. I know we both benefited extraordinarily from our time with that counselor. Well, as we go forward in these discussions about uh, making a strong marriage, making an intimate marriage, uh, next time we want to talk about submission. submission. What in the world does it mean to be submissive? And I just tell you to submit all the time, right? And you do it. Oh, yeah, because you'd mm-hmm. get your finger bit off if you did. <laughs> so next time, join us as we chat about what biblical submission just might look like in a real marriage. This is Michael and Cindy Easley in context. If you listen to our podcast on iTunes, would you take a minute to rate and review our show? We love reading your feedback, and this helps the show become more discoverable for other listeners. Thanks again for listening.